0: Morning. So, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Romans chapter six, we're continuing in our study through the book of Romans. So, last Thursday at our uh, mission team meeting, someone brought up the topic of uh, spiritual warfare. You Guys, ever think about spiritual warfare? We talked about the fact that that phrase actually spiritual warfare isn't in the isn't found in the Bible, but the truth that we as believers, that we're involved in a spiritual conflict. In Matthew eleven twelve, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2-4, Paul writes, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, but his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Ephesians six eleven and 12 Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. That you may may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And in 1 Timothy 6.12, Paul Paul charges Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. This is a, a spiritual war that's going on in our world and in our lives. And the question is, are you fighting the good fight of faith? Or do you even think about the fact that you're in a a spiritual conflict? We can think that because we are saved by grace through faith alone, true, amen, hallelujah, praise Jesus, that because we, we do absolutely nothing to earn our salvation, that we can continue to do nothing in our Christian life. But that's not the case. We're called, we must fight the good fight of faith. And our greatest battle, the greatest battle that we have to fight against is our own personal sin. Sin is our greatest enemy. And in our passage today, Romans chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, the Apostle Paul commands us, I believe, to fight against this enemy. This, I believe, describes the heart of spiritual warfare. Paul writes, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to obey to make you obey its passions, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought back from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. These two verses are, are a battle cry to fight the good fight of faith against sin. But more than just a battle cry, they provide a battle plan for achieving victory. And it's my prayer that we will come away from from our time this morning not only convinced, I want us to be convinced, I want us to understand and be convinced of our need to fight against sin, to fight against the sin in our lives, but also better equipped to achieve the victory that I believe we all desire. Now before we get to the actual fight, the actual battle plan, we must first understand and make sure we've fulfilled the prerequisites. I knew I was going to do that. The prerequisites? Is that okay? For fighting sin. What goes before? Now, verse 12 of, of Romans 6 begins with the phrase, let not sin therefore reign. Or as the NIV translate it, translates it, therefore do not let sin reign. And the word therefore means that, that what follows in verses 12 and 13 is based on what's come before. The reason we can not let sin reign is because of what we, we've, we've looked at over the last two weeks, what we saw in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. So let me just briefly summarize what we've seen in these verses. Paul's making a case that even though, even though it's true, I mean, he, he talked about it over again, illustrated that we are saved, we're justified, we're saved by grace through faith alone. That It's God's grace and our response in faith alone that saves us. And therefore, at the end of chapter 5, he says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. He wants us to see, though, that that doesn't mean we're to continue in sin. In Romans 6 1, he asks, Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And then he immediately answers the question with an emphatic, By no means, no way. He declares that it's ridiculous to think that way. And then in verses 2 through 10, he explains why it's ridiculous. And at the heart of Paul's explanation uh, to this truth, that we are not to continue in our sin, that grace may abound, is the truth that we are united with Christ. When you're saved by grace through faith, God does a, a miraculous and mysterious work in your life. He unites you with His Son, Jesus Christ. And being united with Christ, or being what we say in Christ, means what happens to Christ happens to you. What Christ receives, you receive. What's true about Christ is true about you. And so Paul reasons that because of our union with Christ, there are two major things that are true about us. First, we died with Christ. Our old self was crucified with Christ. Therefore, just as Christ died to sin, we died to sin. Romans 6-7, we read, "For, "...for one who has died has been set free from sin." So first, we died in Christ and therefore we died to sin. We are set free. We've talked about this a lot in the last couple of weeks. We're set free from the authority, from the control of sin. We're no longer under the control, the power of sin. We were before, but now we're free. And second, we're united with Christ in His resurrection. Death could not hold Christ and death will not hold us. When we're saved, we're given a new life in Christ. And when we die physically, we'll be resurrected to be with and to be like Christ. In Romans 6.10, Paul writes, For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. That's us. Once for all. That's our union with Christ. But the life He lives, He lives to God. Christ died once for all, and therefore, He died to sin, and we died to sin. And because we're united with Christ in His resurrection, the life we live now and for all eternity will live to God. Therefore, it's, it's ridiculous to think that we who died to sin and live to God should continue in sin. It would be, it would be like a, a homeless person, person who inherits a million dollars but still lives on the street. It would be like an abused slave being, being freed but still living under their abusive master. It's ridiculous to think those who were living under the authority of sin, those who were being ruled and and destroyed by sin, after being freed, after being given a a new life of joy and satisfaction in Christ, would continue to live in sin. That, my friends, is is crazy talk, right? But the problem is, we tend to uh, border on insanity on the edge of sanity. Because even though it's crazy, for those who've been freed from sin to continue in it, we still find ourselves continuing in it. And so the question is, how do we fight against sin? How do we live in the reality of our death to sin and our life to God? Now last week we began to see the answer to this question. We saw that the first step in our fight against sin in Romans 6.11, Paul writes, so you, mu- so you also must consider, or as we said last week, reckon. Reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We must reckon that in Christ we are dead to sin and alive to God. And, and that word means uh, we must first believe. Believe the truth. Trust that you're dead to sin. And alive to God. And then, second, you have to live, you have to act based on that truth. You must live based on the reality of who you are in Christ. So that's the summary of verses 1 through 11. What came before the, the therefore in verse 12? Before you can apply verses 12 and 13, you must have met the prerequisites of verses 1 through 11. You must be saved by grace through faith and therefore united with Christ. Which means you are dead to sin and you are alive to God. You must reckon yourself then dead to sin and alive to God. You must believe and live based on the fact that you're dead to sin and alive to God. Or I would say you must fight to make the truth that you're dead to sin and alive to God, a reality in your life. You know, the Christian life is the fight to become who you already are in Christ. Let me say that again. I I think this is so important for us to understand. We are, who we are in Christ is dead to sin and alive to God. But sometimes it doesn't seem that way. Sometimes we don't live that way. Sometimes we don't reckon it so. And so the Christian life while we're here is a fight to become who Christ has already declared us to be. It's a fight to live in the reality of our death to sin and our life to God. Now how do we do that? Well, that's exactly what Paul tells us in verses 12 and 13. Once you're in Christ and you're reckoning reckoning yourself dead to sin, and alive to God, once you meet the prerequisites for for fighting for sin, you can now implement the, the plan. The battle plan. The plan for fighting sin. And this plan has two parts. First, because you're dead to sin, you can now prevent sin from reigning. Sin no longer has authority in your life. Do you believe that? Reckon it so. Believe it to be true. And then live based on this truth. Then implement the battle plan. Paul writes in in Romans 6, 12 and 13, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. To sin or not to sin? That is the question. And these verses show us that we have control over the answer. Let not sin. Uh, do not present your members to sin. We have the ability to stop sin from reigning in our mortal bodies. We'll talk more about that in a second. We have the ability to stop obeying the passions, the desires of sin. We have the ability in Christ to not present our members Members, are the parts of our body is what it's referring to, to sin. So what does it mean for sin to reign in your mortal body? Or what does it mean for sin not to reign in your mortal body as well? Well, I think we know what sin is. I hope we do. To sin means to, to violate God's law, to disobey God in, in word, in thought, or in deed. To do what God doesn't want you to do or to not do what God wants you to do. That's sin. Now the word reign literally means to be king. To be the ruler over. To have authority over. Even though in Christ we're no longer ultimately under the authority of sin, we can let sin rule over our mortal bodies. Mortal bodies just refers to our physical body. It's mortal because it will die. So what Paul is saying is that because of our union with Christ, because you're dead to sin, because you're alive to God, you have control over whether you allow sin to reign in your physical body. You have control as to whether sin is your king or not. You have control as to whether the members of your body, your eyes and your mouth and your hands and your feet come under the rule of sin. So are you allowing sin to reign in your mortal body? Well, to answer that question, we need to know what it looks like when sin is reigning. And there are two extremes that we can go to. I want to touch on those and then we'll get to what I think the definition, what it really looks like for sin to be reigning. First, we can say that sin is only reigning when we're committing uh, blatant, outward, obvious sins, big sins, uh, uh, stealing or murder or adultery. We can think sin is, is reigning in a person's life if we can see their sin. Oh, yeah, sin is reigning in his life. And we can think sin is not reigning in our, in our life as long as nobody knows about our sin, right? But that's just not the case. A life of outward morality, of, of not committing what we, would, what we would consider, not what God considers, but what we would consider the big sins, doesn't mean sin is not reigning. The Pharisees uh, prove that fact, don't they? They were very careful to present themselves as totally obedient to the law. And Jesus condemns them over and over. Matthew uh, 23-25, He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup, no outward blatant big-time sins, and plate, But inside, they're full of greed and self-indulgence. It's it's the inside as well. You can be outwardly clean, but inwardly, sin can still be reigning. So the first extreme, I think, is wrong. Sin can reign even when you're not committing big sins, even when you appear to be outwardly moral. And second, the second extreme says that sin is reigning whenever you sin. Anytime you sin, sin is reigning. Whenever you sin, you're allowing sin to reign in your mortal body. In fact, in 1 John 3, 9, the apostle writes, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. But in the same letter, John says that no Christian can claim to be without sin. If you say you have no sin, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And in Romans chapter 7, Paul describes, uh, which we'll get to in in a little bit, not today, a little bit of, weeks paul describes christians as having sinful desires and and deeds he says in verse 18 for i know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh for i have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out so it's it's clear i think that even after our union with christ even after we are freed from the authority and the control of sin sin still has some influence in us we continue to be tempted and we will at times fall to sin. This is true for all believers. If, if the definition of sin reigning is that you sin, then sin is reigning in all of us and we're all in trouble. So if not letting sin reign in our mortal bodies does not mean avoidance of outward blatant sins, and it doesn't mean being sinless, what does it mean? Well, I think what Paul is saying in these verses is, is a little bit clear. Sin is reigning... When we ourselves are ruled by sin. Sin is reigning when sin is our, is our controlling authority. When sin becomes our king. When we stop fighting against sin. When we accept it and tolerate it and, and, and live in it. We learn to live in it when, when we don't resist it, but instead obey its passions. Again, Romans six thirteen. When we surrender to sin and present willingly, give our members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Now, given this definition, we've surrendered to sin. We we're not fighting against it. It's our it's our ruler. You might ask, how is it possible? I mean, after the songs we sang, right? Sin doesn't have any. Sin has lost its power. Oh, sorry, started way too high there. I'll just say, sin has lost its power, right? We sang that this morning. You might ask, how is it possible for sin to reign in the life of of one who's united to Christ? One who's dead to Christ? Well, let's expand a little bit on an illustration uh, you may remember from two weeks ago. If a wicked military force had complete control of a country, that, by the way, is us before Before Christ. And a good army invaded. That's Christ. The good army could throw the wicked force out out of power and give the capital and the government back to the people. But the out of power soldiers could still, that's sin, could still live out in the forest or the jungle. This guerrilla force could create havoc for the new rightful government. They could often impose their will on the country even though... They could never get back in power. And we as part of this uh, new good army, we who are in Christ are engaged in a battle against this guerrilla force wherever they're found. We win some and unfortunately we lose some. But we continue to fight. This, I would say, is a good picture of uh, the normal Christian life. A life where sin is not reigning. As Christians you're still impacted by the guerrilla force sin. But when the guerrilla force has a victory, when you fall, it causes turmoil, turmoil, strife in your heart. You'll regret it. You'll be repulsed by it. You'll grieve over your sin. And so you continue to fight against sin. This is what John means when he says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. A Christian may sin, but he or she will not make a practice of sinning. They won't continue to give in to it. They won't put sin on their schedule. They won't look forward to it. They won't they will. They will fight against the that guerrilla force of sin that keeps trying to regain power. Never forget that in Christ we are free for the first time to fight sin. And we are free to be victorious over sin. But where there is no fight, there is no victory. And so the the normal Christian life should be one in which we are constantly fighting against sin. You may fall, but you get back up and you continue forward. You continue the fight. And therefore, you are not letting sin reign in your mortal body. If you're fighting against sin, you're not letting it reign. But a life where sin is reigning looks very different. In that life, you have, at least for a time, surrendered to the the guerrilla force of sin. You're no longer fighting against it. You're obeying its passions. You're doing what sin wants you to do. You're presenting your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. This is not the normal Christian life. This should never describe someone who's united with Christ. But there are there are times when we can allow sin to reign. Maybe not in every part of our life. We may not sin with reckless abandon, but we present specific members to sin at specific times as instruments for unrighteousness. We let sin reign over specific areas of our lives, our financial life. We we give in. We stop fighting against greed. Against materialism. We stop giving and, and, and keep buying our thought life. We, get, we give in to sinful thoughts about God, about our, ourselves, about others. We become bitter and unforgiving. I, I didn't know how to put this, but I, I said our, our satisfaction life. We give in to the belief that this life is for our entertainment. That we will be satisfied by seeking the pleasures of this world instead of the pleasures of God. Our sex life. We give in to sexual fantasies that lead to sexual immorality. And these are just examples of the parts of our life that we can allow sin to reign in. And let me say, if this is where you find yourself this morning, if you're allowing sin to reign in any area of your life, if you're obeying its passions and and presenting your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, if you're planning and and scheduling and looking forward to certain, certain sins, if you've given up fighting against them, if you've surrendered, then you have to take down the white flag and you have to get back in the battle. How? In the same way we all must fight Every day when we sin, you begin by going to God. You begin by confessing your sin, asking for and receiving His forgiveness. Then you have to repent. You have to turn away from the sin. And you have to turn towards God. Next, you need to reckon. You need to reckon yourself Dead to sin and alive to God. Even though I'm just coming out of this this time where sin has been reigning in this area of my life, God, I reckon that in Christ I'm dead to sin. And and God, I reckon I'm alive to You. Help that to be a reality. Believe that in Christ, sin has no authority over you. has no authority over any area of your life. That in Christ, sin does not reign. And finally, you must continue every day to fight against sin. You must not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. And how do we do that? Paul says, let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. He doesn't say how we do that. He just says, do it. Paul is saying that that we have the ability, uh, I'll explain this, so hold on, in ourselves to stop sin's reign. But where does that ability come from? It comes from Christ. Remember the prerequisites from being united with Christ. Because in Christ, we are dead to sin. We are freed from sin's control. And therefore, we have the freedom to exercise self control. God not only gives us the power, excuse me, God not only frees us from the power of sin, He empowers us to overcome sin. God gives us. Self-control. Second Timothy 1, seven. Paul writes, we think self-control means it's our self, but it's God-given self-control. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. In Christ, give, God gives us a new life. Not to be lived in fear, but in His power and in His love and in the self-control He gives us. God gives us self-control that we might say no to sin you can never say, the devil made me do it. He doesn't. You choose in Christ. And he does this. He gives us the self-control by giving us his Holy Spirit. We're not alone in our fight against sin. God, the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, last week is in our small groups it was Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit was the Topic. And one of the things is we looked up all these words that different translations say about the Holy Spirit. He is our advocate, our helper, our counselor, our comforter. The Holy Spirit stands with us and he empowers us. Galatians five twenty two twenty three 23, Paul writes, but the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in you is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit, the product of God's Spirit working in your life, includes your ability to have self-control. This God-given self-control empowers us to let not sin reign in our mortal bodies. And what this means is when you're faced with temptation, when you're faced with a desire to sin, you can choose to use the self-control that God has given you. Or, you can ignore it and submit to sin. Before you were in Christ, you had no choice. Now you do. This has been my uh, uh, experience. Some good and and some bad throughout my life. And I know I'm not alone. When tempted to sin, I know I always have a choice. There comes a moment. A moment of decision. Where am I going to turn? Will I use my God-given Spirit-empowered, self-control to fight and to say no to sin or will I ignore the Spirit of God and surrender? Surrender to sin's temptations. That's the battle that each and every one of us faces on a daily basis. And so allowing our God-given, Spirit-empowered, self-control to fight against sin is crucial if you're going to, Prevent sin from reigning in your life. But it's only half the story. It's only part one. And unfortunately, so many people stop there. You've got to keep going. It's only one part of the plan to fight against sin. God is not calling us to just exercise self-control and say no to sin's reign. He's also calling us to say yes to Him. That's what we see in the second half of verse 13. Verse 13. You're not only to prevent sin's reign, you must present yourselves to God. There's a saying that applies to to things like sports and to warfare, to military conflict. It goes like this. Maybe you've heard it. The best defense is a good offense. Have you ever heard that? What that means is, is that being proactive and taking action to attack Going on the offensive is better than waiting to be attacked and then reactive, reacting defensively. Take, take, the, take charge. Now, whether this is always true in sports or, or warfare, I, I'm not sure. But, but Paul wants us to know that it's true in our fight against sin. We're not to sit back and wait for sin to attack so we can exercise self-control and just say no. Now, we need to exercise self-control and just say no, but we need to also move forward. We're to go on the offensive. We're to be proactive. Listen to what he says. Verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but do present yourselves to God as those who have been brought back from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness for righteousness. You've been brought back from death to life. You have a new life in Christ. You're living to God. Present your members to To God as instruments for righteousness. When Paul says present yourselves to God, the tense of the verb implies both a a one time and a continual event. There's a one time. There's a beginning. But then it continues on. He's saying that for the Christian, there's a time when you present yourselves to God. A time when you surrender and give everything to God. When you say, "I, I died in Christ, and in Christ I'm brought back from the dead. I've been given a new life in Christ, and and that life belongs to you, God. Here's my body, my arms, and my legs, and my voice, my eyes. Take them and use them as instruments for your plans, for your purpose, for righteousness sake. Now sometimes, maybe you're mature enough, maybe you've Somebody gives you a a really good gospel presentation that that takes it all in. Sometimes you do this at your conversion. We believe, we we trust in Christ as our Savior and we completely surrender to Him. We present ourselves to Him, but sometimes it's not until later. Sometimes we we just take that Savior part and we we hold off until we understand our need to present ourselves to God. I've shared before that, that it was five years after Believing that I presented myself to the Lord. And I speak from personal experience. I have five years of experience. It wasn't until I presented myself to God that I began to have this consistent victory over sin in my life. Even though I tried. I tried to let not sin reign in my mortal body. I knew I wasn't supposed to sin. I tried to have self-control. It was during those first five years of my Christian life that sin was able to reign in certain areas. But after presenting myself to God and going on the offensive, the, sin, the reign of sin ended. Now, that didn't mean, again, if we go back to the definition, that didn't mean I stopped sinning. It mean I didn't stop fighting against sin. I didn't let sin reign in areas of my life. I didn't let it have control. And I began to present my members, my body as instruments of righteousness. It, was, it wasn't until then that I began to see, oh, I need to do something. With my life for Christ. So there must be a time in each of our lives as Christians when we present ourselves to God. But it doesn't end there. You must also continually, actively present yourselves to God, present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. And so the question is have you presented yourself to God, and are you presenting yourself to God? Do you on a daily basis say to the Lord, I'm yours. Do with me as you will. Not my will, but yours be done. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're like I was. Maybe you're trying to implement part one of the plan to fight against sin. Maybe you're fighting to refuse sin's reign. Maybe you're fighting to exercise self-control. Maybe, maybe you've even enlisted the help of others. Maybe you're part of some kind of accountability group that encourages and, and helps to strengthen your self-control. You have God's people around you, helping you. And all of that is good and necessary in our fight against sin. That's part one. But it's only half the battle. Let me say this. And see, it's like uh, if you're just doing half, you're, you're not going to win. Okay? Okay? You have to implement both. If just saying no to sin is all that you're doing to fight, then I believe you're doomed to failure. You'll burn out, and sin will find an area to begin reigning in your life. You have to implement part two of the plan. The battle against sin. To truly overcome and have victory over sin on a consistent basis, You must present yourself to God. You must present your members, the members of your body, who you are and what you do to God as instruments for righteousness. The Christian life must not be about refusing to sin only. The Christian life is about presenting yourself to God, living to God, living for God, using your members to do what God wants you to do. Experiencing, and experiencing the joy and the satisfaction of being in relationship with God. And so in conclusion, I want to remind us and I want to encourage us of, of just three practical ways. These aren't the only three ways. Maybe you'll think of others. You know, we talk about presenting ourselves to God and, 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 and certainly that means going to Him in prayer and just saying, I'm yours. But I want to give us three practical ways. This is what it means to present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. This is what it means to live to God, to be in relationship with God. And this is how you prevent sin from reigning in your life. Now, each of these could be a whole message, even a series of messages. So they're going to be brief, but I think you'll get the idea. First, present yourself to God's Word present your eyes and your mind and your heart to reading and studying and memorizing and meditating on the Word of God. It's through God's Word that we learn of who He is. We learn of His ways. We learn of His purposes. It's through God's Word that we learn of His greatness and His holy standards. As the psalmist writes, Psalm 119.1, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's through presenting ourselves to God's word, giving ourselves over to the word of God, making it part of our life. Committing to, to reading and understanding it. It's in that way that we're build up. we built up and we're encouraged and, and given even the self-control to resist Sin And then present yourself to God's worship. Present your tongue and your mouth and your heart and even your hands and your feet to worshiping and and glorifying God. I'd also include prayer here. As we worship and praise and pray to God, we honor Him and, and we bring Him glory. We reflect back to Him just how awesome He is in our lives. We enter into His glory and we grow in our love for Him. And this is so key in overcoming sin. It's when we're truly in love with God. If you're obeying the one, the greatest commandment, which is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. If you're obeying that commandment, this is going to come pretty easy to you. It's when we love God that we find it difficult to sin against Him. It's when we're experiencing our eternal relationship with, of joy and satisfaction with Jesus, that we become uninterested in the temporal pleasures that sin offers. So present your members to worship and to prayer. Now combining these first two is is key to our battle strategy. Present yourself, plan a daily time of Bible study, of worship and prayer. I would encourage you to begin each day in this way. If we begin our day, just think about this. If you begin your day presenting your members to God, giving yourself to God, it is much more difficult when temptation strikes later in the day to take those members back from God and use them for sin. Present them to sin. So daily, present yourself to God's Word and to God's worship. And finally, present yourself to God's work. Present your mind and your heart and your hands and your feet to God for His purposes to serve Him. Did you know that actively engaging in the work of the Lord is one of the best ways to fight against sin? Isn't that what Paul says in verse 13? You have two options. You're going to be doing one of these or the other. Either you will present uh, yourself, your members, what you do with your body to sin or to God. So you fight and have victory over sin by proactively seeking to present your members to the righteous works of God. I know from personal experience again that I'm much more vulnerable to sin when I'm not busy about the things of God. Idle hands are the devil's workshop, right? I know this isn't in the Bible, but I think the principle holds true. And so I want to encourage each and every person here to get involved in God's work. Find a place to serve the Lord. Now, I know there are places and ways to serve the Lord outside of of the church you attend. I pray that each of us look for opportunities to serve God where you live and, and where you work specifically serving Him by, by sharing the Gospel of Jesus Christ with those who need Him, with those who don't know Him. But God also calls us to serve together within our local church. One of our core values as a church is including members in ministry. A lot of times people think that the, the pastor and the staff, the, the elders, they're the ones that do the ministry. But we believe it Bridges that every member, every person, regular attender, person that calls Bridges their home is to be a a minister. That ministry serving helps us grow in our faith. It's part of our discipleship. It's part of growing up in Christ. And it helps us fight against sin. And so as an immediate application, I'd like to give each of you an opportunity to, to serve, to present your members to God's work. An opportunity to present your members to God as instruments of righteousness to be about His purposes, an opportunity to implement part two of God's plan for fighting against sin. On the back table, you know, this isn't cheating. You'd think this is, I'm going to do an announcement here, but it's, you know, it, it's really at the heart of what we, we should be about. On the back table, there are sign ups for different ministries we have at Bridges. I'd encourage you to, to look at them and to pray about them. And ask God to show you where He wants you to serve. And then sign up for a few. Signing up for, as Tom said earlier, for a ministry doesn't mean you're making a lifelong commitment. It means you're interested and, and would like more information about what it means to be a part of, of men's ministry or women's ministry or marriage ministry or children's ministry or any ministry to take this necessary step of presenting yourself to God's work. And it's as we implement God's two-part plan for fighting against sin, as we use the Spirit-empowered self-control that God has given us to prevent the reign of sin, as we say no to sin and as we say yes to God, presenting ourselves to Him, experiencing the joy and the satisfaction of relationship with Him, by presenting our members to His Word and His worship and His work, it's then that we are truly fighting against sin. And it's then when we will experience the victory that God provides in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank You so much that in Christ we are dead to sin and we are alive to You. Lord, help us to reckon it so and to live in that. Lord, help us to, to never give up the fight. Lord, this life, this life is, is going to be a fight. It, it, it doesn't end until we, we see You face to face and we're transformed to be like You. In, in the in-between time, Father, I pray that You would give us, that by Your Spirit You would empower us to have self-control, to say no to sin, Lord. But, but, but maybe even more, I pray for each of us that we would understand our need to present ourselves to You, to give ourselves completely to You completely to Your Word and Your will and Your ways, completely to Your work, completely to Your worship, Father. I thank You that, that in this way, that You've, you've designed it even, Lord, that, that in that way we would experience victory over sin. I pray that for each of us in Christ's name. Amen.